And so um, I remember in um, the, that spring, I finally gave my notice and I sat down with Cheryl Sandberg, who had been um, a good friend and mentor of mine over the years there. And I just remember sitting you know, with her, just telling her, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. And I just started to cry. And I think I just got so emotional. And she just said, you know, don't be scared. Like, this is like what dreams are made of. Welcome to Growth Unscripted. The badass professionals. The real questions. The truth behind how top execs got to where they are and how you can follow in their footsteps. Now here's your host, Beth CEO and founder, Carolyn Betts. Welcome back to Growth Unscripted. Today we have Bianca Gates, the founder and CEO of Birdies. Birdies the shoe company. Welcome, Bianca. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show today. Well, I mean, I just I absolutely think your story is incredible. And I'm actually wearing my birdies today. Again, a different oh, pair I than love- I have. The cheetah ones on. I have a lot of starlings on today. It just felt like a good one. Well, and I think I told you for our Q4 gift for our managers, we're giving them birdies. And one of the people was like, which one should I get? I'm like, I would do the black with the white embroidery, which is exactly yeah. what you have on today. I love those ones. Like if you're going to get one pair, I think that would be the one. I think it's a good starting off birdies. And unfortunately, it's one of only like, three that we have left on our website, November cleared us out, uh, like totally surprised us. Um, so, And why do you think November, like what do you attribute, like weather getting colder, Thanksgiving, people bringing gifts, like curious what you think what happened with November? I think a lot of things happened. We had a lot of product releases around that time and we leaned into Cozy heavily in November. So our Phoebe Fofer slides that were supposed to last us two months lasted about 72 hours. And I think people were sort of ready for this change in season and wanted these like, you know, delicious slippers to wear that are also somewhat fashionable. And so it we just did not anticipate the demand. We actually bought 3x the number of products we had last November. Wow. Uh, and we completely got cleared out. So we actually ended up having the biggest sales month in the company's history in November, which oh. is unbelievable. But unfortunately, it's slim pickings on our website now in December, which is terrible. But we will fix that for next year. Totally. I mean, that's what running a business is all about. Trial and error and, and guessing what's going to happen. Oh, that's really exciting. I mean, how cool to have your biggest month ever, you know, just like, while we're still in COVID. And I wear my birdies now more than ever because I I do a standing desk at home and they're like so comfy to stand in all day. And I can't believe I ever stood all day in heels, by the way. Like I did that before COVID. (laughs) So that was exactly the design behind birdies was for the busy woman who's like standing around and like, you know, whether she's entertaining friends at home or she's running around with the kids or going in and out of the office. And what we noticed was a lot of women were taking their birdies into the office and they were trading them for their heels while they were working at their desk. And then when they would like walk into a meeting, um, they'd throw on their heels. So all of these like crazy use cases that we never anticipated, to be honest, when we started. Yeah. Uh, but it's been fun to see how women are wearing their birdies. 
Yeah. Speaking of starting, I would absolutely love to hear uh, the story of how you came up with this genius idea. It's so funny to hear you say that because had you asked me six years ago what I would be doing six years later, it would have had nothing to do with what I'm doing today. I was in advertising sales at Facebook and absolutely obsessed with my job there, obsessed with the company, obsessed with the mission of making the world more open and connected. And I loved it. But as a side, I've sort of, you know, for over a decade, had this like weird problem where whenever I'd come home and kick off my shoes that I was wearing outside, I wanted to sink my feet into something deliciously comfortable, but also attractive enough to wear with my outfit. Um, and actually, this problem started back when I was living in New York in the early 2000s when Sex in the City was like the hottest show on the planet. And you would never be leaving your apartment without a great pair of heels. But as soon as you get home, the first thing you do is you kick off your shoes. You know, one, they're dirty. And two, you have people living above you, next to you, below you. So you want to be respectful of not clicking your heels everywhere you walk. So I would kick them off. We've all had those. <laughs> I had those moments. And, you know, when I get home from work, I'm not ready to put on my pajamas and take off my makeup. Like I still have a full evening ahead of me. So I wanted to have that like Mr. Rogers moment where I kick off my outdoor shoes and I sit on my you know chair and I put on my indoor shoes and it's like this shift in you know the day where now I'm at home, but I'm not quite yet in my pajamas and taking my makeup off and ready for bed. So the story sort of started way back when, and I just remember entertaining friends and family in my apartment and going to somebody else's house and the first thing they would say is please take off your shoes, and the options were you know wearing your socks which normally I'd have like gym socks underneath like my fabulous leather boots. Uh, I'm barefoot, which my feet are not the most attractive uh, feet uh, at all. Or wearing, you know, traditional slippers, which have always been synonymous with pajamas. In fact, you know, you'd go to like a store and you'd ask them for stylish slippers. They would always send me to the lingerie department. And so it was like this head scratcher moment where I was like, gosh, why can't somebody solve this, you know, problem? Or like, why do men have you know, these like loafers to wear at home and women don't. And so the journey began there. And quite honestly, I wanted somebody else to solve the problem. Like I'd never worked in fashion or retail. I'm not a designer. I can't even draw a stick figure. So it was never this like aha moment of like, maybe I should solve the problem. I just wanted somebody else to solve it so I could go along with my evening, you know, dressed comfortably and, and stylishly. And it wasn't until five years ago while I was at Facebook that my husband just looked at me one day and he's like, you know, you've been talking about this like darn slipper, social slipper problem, as he called it, for all, like at least 10 years. And every year my family would try to surprise me with a great pair of slippers to entertain in. And nobody could like quite nail it. And so he's like, why don't you just solve the problem once and for all? You know what you want, you know what's missing. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, who am I to solve this problem? Where would one start a shoe company? <laughs> like, okay, I'm just going to start a shoe company. Not to mention that I have a full-time job at Facebook, two little kids, and I was commuting an hour and a half each way to the office and back. So no time, no experience. But when he said those words, you know, it was like the world stopped for a moment. And I was like, could I be the one to solve the problem? For 10 years, nobody has solved the problem. Could I solve the problem? And, and what would the shoe look like? And so there was like one night I put the kids to bed, I poured myself a big glass of wine. And I was like, how does one start a shoe company? And so I did you Google. Google, how do you make shoes? And uh, that was certainly not helpful, but the seed was planted. And you know, once you plant that seed that like, I'm going to take this challenge on and tackle it, 
it sort of became this like fun side hustle that got me excited every day to kind of figure out this like big challenge. And all of a sudden, eight months later, we launched with a product, which is nuts. It's so cool though. And curious, right? Like how long did you like... Because I can't even imagine. And and like there was an overlap for me when I started bets between when I got things up and running and when I left Career Builder to do it full time. How did that look for you? You know, having two kids, right? Like everything you just said, I'm just like, oh my God, I can't even imagine trying to do all that. It's funny, you know, I mean, even pre kids, I couldn't imagine having a career and one kid. And then you do it and you're like, okay, I just have to like really ruthlessly prioritize my day. And then you think, how can I do my work and raise a child and have a second child? And then you do it and you realize, okay, I just have to really ruthlessly prioritize my time, but I can do it. And so, you know, starting Birdies for me, it never started off with, I'm going to start a company. It was this like challenge slash hobby that I was like, I was so excited to work on it every night. There was no business plan. Like there was none of that. It was all the fun. And so, But on the weekend, I recruited my now my co-founder, who's been one of my best friends for many years. And we would just get together on the weekends and go shopping and buy shoes and cut them up and just identify like if we, you know, if we made this shoe, what would be in it? Let's take all the best things from all these shoes, from a sneaker, from a traditional slipper to a shoe. What would we have in it? And then like a couple of months after Marissa and I decided we were going to tackle this challenge, a, a good friend of ours who was making dresses at the time. Who we asked for some advice on how to start a retail business. She's like, listen, I don't know anything about footwear, but I do know there's this big international trade show for shoes and apparel in Las Vegas, and you guys should go and learn. And so I remember that night looking it up, and it was like the following weekend. And I'm like, well, listen, I love Vegas, and I would love to go for the weekend, you know, under the it's work, you know, quote unquote. And so, you know, we just sort of like tackled it as like a fun adventure. And so Marissa and I, we didn't want to pay the $1,000 to get into the conference. We didn't have a lot of money to, to throw around at this. We just wanted to learn. And so Marissa made these like fake business cards with this like so, somewhat like, you know, her parents address in like the retail world that we were able to use to get in. So we got pretty crafty and we spent, I think, like three nights there having the best time with, you know, my girlfriend and in Vegas and we're learning only to leave with realizing like, oh crap, this is going to be really hard. I mean, we, I remember class and it was like how to start a shoe company. I was like, great. Like you start making shoes 101. And the first thing the guy said is you need to have a really good tech pack. And I remember being like, shoot, I'm already lost. And it's like minute one of a one hour you know, seminar. And I was like, what is a tech pack? And it was a technical packet of like, you know, all of the technical components you need to make your shoe. And I was like, well, Oh my gosh, who the heck knows that? You know, I'm like, well, listen, this is probably the right path to be on, but this, I don't have time to go to school to learn how to make shoes. We're going to go down a different path. So we had fun. We came back and we just said, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a faster way. There's got to be a better way. And so we put our heads together and we sort of just started it a completely unconventional way, but it worked. That's really. <laughs> I mean, the Vegas story is so great. So, okay, so you mentioned that you found your co-founder was a you know very close friend. You obviously this had been your idea for a decade. You know, how did you end up picking her, and why? You know, there's a lot of people that start companies on their own. You know, I'm very curious as to how you made that decision. That's a good, good question. Listen, like I know what I'm good at. 
And I know all the things that I'm not good at. So there was like, without a doubt, I knew there was no way I was going to start a company without somebody else, right? Like I just, I was very clear about that. And as it turned out, you know, she and I have been really good friends for many years. Our husbands met during their time of business school and they had introduced us. We were both living in New York City at the time and both of our husbands were going to school out in California. And so it was this like serendipitous moment of meeting and, you know, dating, you know, two guys across the country. And we had a lot of fun, although it was very obvious to anybody that met us that we're very different, very different personalities. And we like, we thrive off of each other being very different. And so years later, she and her husband moved from New York to the Bay Area and for his job. He had an amazing job opportunity out here, which ultimately meant she had to give up her career in New York. And you know, that was sort of stressful for her and for them. And they moved their their kids out here. And she was very clear that she did not, she was not ready to give up her career. There was so much more for her to do and to give. But there weren't a lot of career opportunities for her in Sacramento, where uh moved to with with their family. He became this the chief marketing officer for the Sacramento Kings. So super fun job, great career opportunity. But for her, it just it limited her career possibilities. And so while we were together, you know, certain evenings, we would just like throw around ideas. And she's like, maybe I should start a company. And she's like, you know, maybe this and maybe that. And she was kind of exploring company ideas and we would help her with ideas. It never dawned on me that like we should actually start this like slipper business together. Because again, this slipper idea was never a business idea. It was just a problem I was looking to solve. And then one night I was putting my son to bed and I texted her quickly and I said, Hey, listen, I have this like amazing business idea for us. I'll call you tomorrow. And me being the salesperson and her being the skeptic, I was like, I really need to sell her in on this because I think she would be an amazing co-founder. And she also just wants to know like immediately, you know, what's on my mind. So she's just like, no, I'm not waiting until tomorrow. Just text me what the idea is. Very impatient. And she responded immediately and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I just moved to Sacramento. We're entertaining all the time. And I'm always like, why am I in these like, you know, purple pajama slippers, you know, with like my outfit? She's like, I'm totally in. So it was like that text exchange. And I think years of trust and friendship and understanding the yin to the yang thing that I think it was like, we, I didn't even think twice about, you know, asking her. And there was never a list I created of who it could be. It was just very obvious from the very beginning. And she's been like my co-pilot on this journey ever since. And I'm so grateful to her. I, I always joke, she's got the hard job in the business and I get all the fun parts of, you know, just coming up with crazy ideas. Isn't that funny how like the visionary and operator, especially the visionary, because I have the same role at Betts, right? And I've recently restructured our company. So everyone reports to my COO other than him. Uh, He reports to me. And this is a very recent transition and it's been actually working pretty well for us. But that's exactly what I think, right? I'm here talking to Bianca on a podcast and you know, not having to, you know, it's it's fun. I think we do the fun stuff. However, when you're operationally inclined, they would never want to have to be the face of the company. And so it's really interesting that yin and yang that comes up. So, you know, I'm curious, right? So you guys launch birdies, right? So you get your co-founder, she's in, Marissa like loves the idea, had also experienced the same problem that you did, which I think is, I think everyone, any woman, once they hear what you've built, it's like, this is genius, right? This is like, I need these. They start ordering. And I can't tell you how many people I bought these for. And like, it's one of those things that you didn't know that you needed until you knew you needed it, I guess, right? Like, <laughs> and... 
probably solved a void in a woman's life she didn't know she had until the solution, you know, arises, which has been... It's so true. And, um, you know, I remember the first time I heard about the company was just walking down Union Street in San Francisco and seeing your store and wondering, what's this? And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, you and I had the opportunity to meet. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I absolutely... I think I had them on. And I think I... <laughs> but the number of times I pulled off my shoe to show you, like if it was under the table, on Zooms, whatever. It's kind of embarrassing, actually, now that I'm saying it. So, you know, you guys, you have the business, you have the co-founder, you, you know, launch it in eight months. When did you decide that this was going to be a full-time thing for you? We launched eight months later, which is crazy. And just going back, like we each decided we would invest $50,000 of our own money, which, you know, was a lot for us. And that was it. And so, you know, to start a, a footwear company, you know, that's producing them overseas, like we just didn't realize how expensive it would be. But I think sometimes, and in this case, ignorance is bliss. And so we used up pretty much all of our capital to buy the first run of birdies. And interestingly enough, we ran out of money when we wanted to produce half sizes. So we only launched two shoes with full sizes, which is just ludicrous, right? Like, who does that? But like, that's all we could afford. And we were like, whatever, we'll learn. And we didn't want to overinvest in the product and perfect this product that ultimately nobody wanted or cared about, right? So our philosophy was, let's move really fast. Let's see if there's a need for this. And even if we get 100% returns... We've identified a need in the market, in which case we'll ask why are they returning and you know we'll fix those problems in the next run. And so, you know, we launched in November of 2015. We had no money for marketing or advertising, and we just posted on our personal Facebook pages that we were launching this business. And so it was super scrappy. And I remember when we received all of the birdies, they were in her garage in Sacramento. I mean, fortunately, she has a, a fairly large garage there. That we were flipping and selling from like the trunks of our cars. If my daughter's school had like a winter festival, I would be there with her standing there, like selling one pair at a time, getting feedback on price, you know, product, et cetera. So super scrappy. And it wasn't until like the following year that we started to gain, you know, a lot of momentum. We had editors reaching out wanting to write about this social slipper. And it was sort of disruptive. You know, it was like, wow, this is like this in-between versatile shoe. And celebrities started to wear us and their stylists started reaching out to us and bloggers were writing about us. And we were like, what the heck is happening? And at the time, our manufacturer was not great. And our the person we're working with was not great. Obviously nobody would take a chance on two women who wanted to solve this like slipper crisis. I mean, who would? It sounds terrible. But as we momentum, we had better partners, bigger partners reaching out to us wanting to design for us and manufacture for us. And so we took advantage of that. And so by year two, our product got significantly better. We were able to launch with half sizes. And there was just so much organic interest in what we were doing. And at the end of 2016, I had just celebrated five years at Facebook. And if you're an employee in good standing, you get about six weeks of a fully paid sabbatical to just kind of travel, do whatever, clear your head. You know, Facebook was this amazing rocket ship, but you're working all the time. And so I remember taking the sabbatical, unlike many of my peers who would, you know, take the family to Europe for the summer and, you know, just really decompress. I decided to use the time to throw 100% of my attention into birdies. So this is now November of 2016. So one year later, and I just wanted to see if I spent more time in this business, would it continue to accelerate rapidly? 
Or was this this like one hit wonder or no matter how much more time and effort I gave it, it was just going to be the same output. And so I, I took November and December off. I gave it my all and the business just continued to take off. I mean, being the salesperson that I am, you know, I'm like calling places and people and selling anywhere and everywhere. And when I got back to work in January of 2017, I just remember thinking, boy, that was so much fun. That was so much fun. But I'm so grateful to be at an amazing company that I love. What do I do? When do you know it's time to leave or that this is just crazy and just stay focused on on your main job? And about a week into being back at work, I got an email from Andy Dunn, who was the CEO and and the co-founder of a men's retail company, Bonobos. And he lives in New York. And I received the email and the subject line, it said $100,000. And I, of course, I opened it up. I'm like, what the heck is this? And he's like, you know, dear Bianca, I've been hearing about birdies all over Manhattan. I think this is going to be huge. I'd love to offer to invest $100,000 in your business and help you raise a seed round. Let me know if you're interested. You know, love Andy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, we have real sales. We have celebrities wearing us, stars reaching out. We have editors writing about us. And now we have an industry insider who wants to invest money into our business. I'm like, I think this is like everything I need to just take that leap, right? Like, this is it. And I knew if we were to raise some capital that I had to be 100% committed to the business. I could not take somebody else's money and only be 20% committed with a full-time job. So I spoke to my husband and obviously he's been super supportive throughout, you know, it was his idea for me to start this. So he's like, absolutely, like this, like this is it. And so um, I remember in um, that spring, I finally gave my notice and I sat down with Cheryl Sandberg, who had been um, a good friend and mentor of mine over the years there. And I just remember sitting, you know, with her, just telling her, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. And I just started to cry. And I think I just got so emotional. And she just said, you know, don't be scared. Like this is like what dreams are made of. And if you're worried about, you know, not having a job, this is going to be amazing for you. But just so you know, we will always hire you back. And, you know, to have that support system, that sort of like that comfort, that safety net was so important to me to to be able to launch this. And so I was, I've been always so grateful to her for that conversation. And so in June, I, you know, I'm free. I left and we started to raise some funding. Um, the goal was to raise a million dollars and definitely not raise from venture capitalists because everything I had read was just like a horrible story. And so for me, these venture capitalists were like just scary, scary people that you don't want to mess with, like the mafia. I mean, that's just the way it was like in my head until Andy Dunn um, introduced me to Kirsten Green, who invested in Bonobos. And she was so lovely and so delightful. And we hit it off immediately. And she offered to invest and lead our seed round. And I was like, Oh my gosh, here's this woman who's invested in like all of the hottest direct to consumer companies who's interested in leading my round. Like, you know, I just was like, yes, absolutely. Shifted gears, called my co founder, Marissa. I'm like, I know we agreed not to take venture capital money, but like, we'd be silly not to in this, in this moment. And so she totally agreed. And we ended up raising $2 million um, at the end of 2017. And that was sort of like the beginning of the adventure and, and scaling this as a real company instead of just a side hustle. Yeah, it's so cool. How amazing to have, you know, Sheryl Sandberg out of all of the women in the world as a mentor. And, you know, I'd love to hear more about her, right? Because, I mean, she's such a great female leader and with Lean In and, you know, the book that she wrote. But I'm curious what it was like having a real personal relationship with her. 
Yeah. And I have to say, like, I call her my mentor. I, I don't think she would ever say Bianca was my mentee. There was no like official relationship, but there was a genuine friendship and a genuine respect for one another. I went to go work at Facebook because of Cheryl. So I, I had just moved to San Francisco, had my first child. I was still working for MTV ad sales, but I'd opened a small satellite office for them here after moving here. And I just remember just after having my daughter, just kind of feeling like, you know, I needed to have a more purpose-driven career versus just focusing on my W-2, which I had done, you know, since graduating college. And a life in sales is, you know, like you're, at least for me, I was like very much focused on my income and my W-2 as an indicator of my success every year. And after having my daughter, it was like the first time where I was like, it's not about the money anymore. It's about the purpose. And like, what am I doing for the greater good of, of society? And one day I read Sheryl Sandberg's commencement speech that she gave at Barnard College. This was back in 2011, where she talks about like, you know, don't leave before you leave and, you know, just continue to find your passion and lean in, right? Like all these things that just spoke to me, I felt like she wrote this letter to me. And I just thought, you know what? I, I need to go work for her company, this organization. And obviously, it was an avid use of the platform. I have a ton of family still in Latin America. So for us to use this free platform to share photos and communication uh, with each other was tremendous. But I had no background in tech or digital media. And like this was like a crazy idea that I was going to go work at Facebook. But I was on a mission to do it because I wanted to learn from a woman who had two children herself and was able to lead such an amazing, extraordinary company that was mission-driven. And so, you know, decided to, you know, quote unquote, apply for a sales job there. And, and truth be told, it took like six months to convince them that like they should hire me. And I'll never forget this. When I got the offer letter, they offered me significantly less than I was making in my current job, coupled with the fact that my commute was going to go from 10 minutes door to door to an hour and a half each way. And I was going to have a very steep learning curve trying to figure out, you know, what sales at Facebook was like. And even with all of that, I was so determined to work at Cheryl's organization that I was like, I don't care. I, like, I think this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. And I did it. And so one day, Cheryl had organized this like women at Facebook offsite. And I was there. And I just remember thinking, this is my opportunity to tell her you know, how her commencement speech inspired me to take this leap and to have this three-hour day commute and to make less money and to you know, really complicate my life quite a bit, but I like for the purpose of doing something bigger in my life. And so I, I met her and I was so nervous and so embarrassed, but I could not, I knew I had one shot. And so I introduced myself, I told her the same story and she looks at me and she's like, this is amazing. Like, I want to invite you to my house for dinner. And I was like, what? Like, what just happened? And I'm like looking around like, Does that, did anybody else hear this? Like, is this true? So I leave and I remember calling my friends that night and I'm like, I think she just invited me to her house for dinner. And I'm like, what, like, what do I do? Like, do I follow up with her and be like, hey, dear Cheryl, like, thanks for that invite. Like, when? Like, is that super nerdy to do? Or do I like play it cool and wait for her to like reach back out? But she's so busy. I mean, I was like a disaster. And the next day, her assistant emailed me and it's like, you know, Cheryl has invited you to her house for dinner. She's organizing this like, you know, small dinner party with a few women in Silicon Valley to kind of like talk and get to know each other. And she'd love for you to attend. And it was like two weeks away. And I'm not kidding. Like, this is like the craziness that is my head. I was watching YouTube videos on how to eat properly because I had this vision at her house that we were going to have like, you know, 12 table settings at this like super fancy house. And I was going to use the wrong fork for like the wrong, you know, moment in the meal. And it turns out it couldn't have been more casual, you know, once I got there. But I was, it, 
Anyway, so we developed a great relationship very early on. And I just like, I think what she's she's doing, you know, for women and leading the way for women to lean in has been tremendous. And it's had a big effect on my life. It's so cool. It's interesting as you brought up the story of you, you know, leaving MTV, joining Facebook, media sales. I think it's one thing, and I don't know if I've even told you this, but I thought about it last time we spoke. I was selling media and technology before I started Bets, and you know, obviously changed industries ish. It was recruitment focused, but you had never managed anybody before starting your own company, and neither had I when I had started Bets. I was in an individual contributor role, one of the top performers in my company, and. I never realized what a huge transition it would be. And, you know, I can imagine that you might have experienced the same thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you and I are so similar. We're salespeople, you know, and so you, know, you don't want to be like just tied up, you know, with anything. You just want to move fast and cover ground and, you know, sell your vision and your product to people. And, you know, it's hard to do that when you've got a lot of people to manage in an organization. Not to mention that, you know, for me, you know, making money was really important for me for a lot of reasons. And I knew that as an individual contributor, I could control how much more money I made every year as long as I kicked ass. And as a manager, there were times like, you know, your manager was making less than you were as an individual contributor. I was like, well, that sounds terrible. Like I can make more money this way and have more fun. So why am I dealing with, you know, people problems? And so by design, I never wanted to go into management. And even after getting promoted many times at Facebook, I remember talking to some of like the senior leaders there where I said, like, I can't possibly get promoted anymore. I'm at the top of my tier. The next path is for me to go into management. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So where does one go in sales from there? And it was around the same time that I was working on Birdies. And even Bernie's was an individual contributor role in the beginning. You know, with my co-founder, it was very much split 50-50. And we were just trying to figure out how to start this thing. And after we raised money and got office space and started to hire people is when I was just like, oh boy, like, how does this work? How does one do this job as a manager? And I stumbled so much in the beginning. I mean, like, I was like, okay, maybe I should act like a manager. Like, what does a manager do? Right. And then I was like, super micromanaging. And then, like, the feedback was, I'm being micromanaging. I'm like, well, I don't even want to be micromanaging. That's not even my personality. So then I would completely detach. And that wasn't good either. Right. So I'm like, oh, there's got to be some balance here. And as the company continued to grow from five people to 10 people to 15 people to 20 people to 25 people, like, I was just overwhelmed. And it was around the time that I was like, I really need help. And when you and I met, when I was interviewing to join YPO, because I just I needed to learn from other leaders who were navigating leading companies and leading people, because like I never had any hands-on experience. I just didn't know. And we've all worked for good managers and not so good managers. And so, you know, I had some framework, but I didn't know how to balance it all. And so I hit some like really, really humbling moments in my career as a manager and a CEO, very humbling moments. And I don't take it lightly. And it's, it's a part of the journey growing up and learning. I'm so grateful for my new friends like you and YPO for really helping me navigate those hard times. Do you have all the answers now? <laughs> I have all the answers. No, you know, it's funny because all those cliches that you read about are so true. But until you live it, it just seems like a silly cliche, right? Like be authentic. 
you know, be yourself. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, how am I supposed to do this? Right. And the reality is be authentic, be yourself, because, you know, people follow inspirational people that are authentic. And, you know, ultimately it's, I think, identifying like what is your authentic self. And I think that was a hard thing for me to find because as a salesperson, you're a chameleon. You know, depending on the client you're serving, you can be more talkative, less talkative, you know, leaning in, leaning back, you know, pushing here, you know, not pushing there. So it's like, who am I? Like, what is my authentic self? You know, I like I'm just a chameleon. And so it took a while to figure that out. I have definitely not learned, you know, I, I mean, I've learned a lot. I don't have all the answers, unfortunately. And then this year in particular, uh, through COVID, has really stretched you know, who I am as a leader and as a manager in so many ways, as you know, just, you know, leading a team from home, managing, you know, people's personal, you know, needs and meeting them where they need to be met at different times and different places. It's been rough, but at the same time, I love a challenge and I love growing. And part of growing is being very humbled at times when you just totally suck at what you're doing. But knowing that for the better of yourself and of the company, that you're going to figure it out and learn and grow from it. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I think it's interesting, right? When you talk about your authentic self, right? Being yourself. I think the other thing that you have to be really okay with when you are a leader in general, and especially as somebody who is the, you know, figurehead founder of the business not everyone is going to like you and you have to be okay with that. And, you know, at least if you walk into any situation, know that you're doing your best and you're going to learn. And we are people too, right? I, I think that that's another thing that I've also had to come to terms with is that like, not everyone that works at your company understands that you're also a human that makes mistakes and is figuring this out as you go along, just like they might be figuring out how, you know, whether red or green sells better at Christmas. I don't know. I, I just made that up. But, you know, <laughs> my guess is red, but who knows? Green goes with more things. So, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, it, it's really interesting because I never realized, like, I never really thought about people not liking me <laughs> before I started a company. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, my parents were immigrants from South America. And so my whole life growing up was to fight to be accepted. And in order to be accepted, I learned I needed to be likable, right? People needed to like me. And in sales, that goes a long way. But ultimately, when you're leading, you're right, there's a shift. It goes from being likable to being respected. And sometimes, you know, respect and likability are not the same. And that has been a really big challenge for me over the years leading birdies. But I think as I grow and as I learn, like it's okay not to be liked by everybody, as long as for me personally, everybody respects my decisions and what I'm doing, right? At the end of the day, if they know I'm doing it for the greater good of the business and for the people that we work with and for, you know, if they think, you know, that I, you know, if they don't like me, they don't love the way I speak or the way I look or the way, you know, that's okay. But as long as they know that they have a leader that they can respect and is always working so hard for the sake of the greater good of the business and our customers and our team, nothing else matters. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So you were selling it out of your car, right? And going to your daughter's events and... Well, the whole idea for the company was the stylish slipper, right? To wear at home. That's the problem we were solving. And it turns out the more we were selling, we would get all these like customer complaints that the rubber sole 
was falling apart too quickly. And I was like, what do you mean it's falling apart? Like I've been wearing the same ones for the last year to make sure it's like perfectly good. When pushing a little bit more, they're like, no, but like we're wearing them. I'm like, where are you wearing these shoes? And they're like everywhere, traveling, you know, to brunch, you know, running errands out with friends. And I'm like, well, there's the problem. Like these are meant to be slippers for the home. And so I'll never forget this for like six months, I would be arguing with customers and I'm like, well, you're wearing them wrong, right? Like they're just made for the home. And they're like, well, listen, let me tell you something. Like I want to wear these out. And so I was like, dang, like how big of a problem is this? And so we had brought on an intern that summer who actually two years later is now full-time with us. She interned for us last two summers, graduated college, and now she's with us full-time. And I said, listen, like for the summer, I need you to survey all of our customers and ask them simply, where are you wearing your birdies? And when you have this, I need you to present the data and then we can figure it out from there. And so she she puts this together and she presents it a few weeks later. And she said, 75% of the customers say that they wear us everywhere and 25% only at home. And it's funny. The numbers thing is funny. Like I got so fixated on the 25% and how we can make them grow that number to have more women wearing us just at home. And my college is like, but Bianca, 75% of the people are telling me they're wearing you everywhere. So I think we should focus on that number. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, so what if we experiment with making a thicker sole? And why don't we take some of their qualitative data? which was all very consistent, which was they would all say the same thing. We love birdies because they're stylish flats that are secretly a slipper. I was like, that's genius. So we designed the shoes for the next season with a thicker sole to keep up with outdoor wearability, but made sure that they had we had a focus on indoor comfort. And we were like, let's say for the first time ever, let's have a tagline. We are birdies, the stylish flat that's secretly a slipper. The customers have told us that. Let's see how that, how that works. Oh my gosh, the business exploded. It was like we had given her permission now to wear these outside by using that tagline and by making the, the sole thicker. And so I say that to say that, you know, a lot of times you start out working on an idea that you're so passionate about solving. And ultimately, the customer will tell you what she wants and needs. And as long as you are hyper focused on listening to what the customer is saying, you will be successful because if you cater to their needs, they'll keep buying your product, right? And so that was one of the most breakthrough things that happened to us at the end of 2017. And and then in 2018, we were carried in a bunch of Nordstrom and the business exploded. We grew 400% year over year. And then we raised a little bit more uh, money. And so Cheryl Sandberg used to always say, feedback is a gift. And I say that every day at home with my husband, with my kids, my company... And also with customers, like you can never hurt my feelings when you're trying to give me good feedback on the product. You know, if it's crappy, tell me. I don't want to spend a lot of money making crappy shoes. So, and nobody's going to wear. <laughs> nobody's going to wear. Like that's bad on me. So, if something's not working, tell me. I am listening. Email me, you know, find a way to reach out to me and we will correct that because we have big ambitions for birdies and we can only get there as long as we're listening to the customer's feedback and designing for what she's looking for. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask next is you filled me in that, you know, it's Christmas. You barely have, you know, any inventory left. You let me know that, you know, November was the best month you've ever had. Uh, You're nervous going into the holidays that, you know, you won't have enough supply to meet the demand. Uh, Very exciting because you can always make more inventory. So that is so cool. But, you know, I'm just curious, what is next for birdies? Uh, That's a good question. We ask ourselves that all the time. We started off just designing, you know, stylish slippers for the home. 
the customer told us she wanted a more durable sole to wear everywhere. We did that. And we've taken a lot of the opportunity during this year, working from home, to really survey and talk to the customers one-on-one and to understand like, what does she want from Birdies? What does she want next? And we have received some great feedback on what she expects from us, what she wants from us. And so this year, we launched two new shoes in the first six months of the year. Going into 2021, we are launching 12 new collections in the first half of 2021. And that is 100% based on feedback from our customers. So there's a lot. We have an amazing design team and amazing partners. And we have so much goodness coming in the first half of the year. And then from there, we'll see you know, what, what she's responding to and what she's not. And, and we'll continue to iterate and create products that really serve her needs at that time. I love it. Well, I can't wait to see the new collections and and try the shoes because if they're anywhere near as comfortable or stylish as the birdies I already have, I will be buying lots and lots of pairs. So thank you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to fly to Vegas with you. And uh, once this is all said and done. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, I love you. Thank you. This is awesome. Growth Unscripted is powered by Bets. From fully customizable end-to-end recruiting services to a platform featuring 15,000 vetted job-seeking professionals, Bets connects the most extraordinary go-to market talent with the most innovative companies in the world. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes with badass executives and check us out at BetsRecruiting.com for more information on how we build companies.